Welcome to WP Tonic, episode 124. Today we've got a really great guest. It's Matt Inglot, the founder of Tilted Pixel and the host of Freelance Transformation. Uh, before we interview Matt today, I'd like to remind you, WP Tonic uh, is not only a podcast, but we also offer uh, WordPress maintenance for all you designers and developers who are looking to transition away from your legacy clients and raise your rates, you can leave them in capable hands with us. And uh, with that, Matt, would you like to introduce yourself to our podcast listeners? Sure. Thanks a lot, first of all, John, for having me on. I'm excited to be here. I have, first and foremost, myself been a freelancer and agency owner for the past 11 years. So that's basically the career that I've built. And on top of that, uh, since uh, last year, 2015, I've been running a podcast called Freelance Transformation. No, and definitely it's an awesome uh, podcast. And if anyone isn't checking it out, they definitely should subscribe to it. Uh, so, you know, let's jump right in. You know, you started an agency when you were fairly young. Uh, and, and what was that whole experience like? And when you were founding it, you know, who were you looking to uh, for examples of, of what and what not to do? So when I founded the agency, it, it did start off as just me uh, working from my student basement apartment um, and just doing freelancing work, specifically doing website development because I needed to pay the bills. I had a cool job at a startup. And then as startups tend to do, this one ran out of money. So that was kind of my first very real taste of reality very early on at 20 years old. Um, you're employed and then the next day you're not employed, but the bills are still there and you still got to pay them. So I went and I started building websites. And I think partly because I just lived in such a entrepreneurial community, uh, Waterloo, Ontario, Canada. Um, it didn't really seem enough to just build websites for people. I decided that I really wanted to build a business and that I really wanted to build a bigger business. So while still in university, I ended up hiring my first full-time developer and getting some office space because back then it made sense to have office space for that developer to work in. And then I hired another developer and another developer and suddenly I had a team and then a bigger office and at some point, I finally finished school, but for most of that office period of a time, I was basically running an agency, and I had a little team, and I was still going to school and basically burning the candle at all three ends. Yeah, that definitely sounds like a recipe for uh, a burnout. You know, and how did you manage that? What what kind of sleep were you averaging each night with that? Like <laughs> I wasn't. I wasn't. I wasn't. Um, like four, four or five hours of sleep would have been pretty typical. Um, luckily, I was in my 20s, but even still, uh, my body definitely didn't sustain that, and I just burnt out hard. No, definitely. Um, you know, so tell me a little bit about some of the missteps that you made early on when you, you know, were forming Filtered Pixel and, and growing it. Uh, you know, just some advice that you would give to people who are starting out, like building their first agency. Sure. I've reflected on this a lot because the other part of the story is at some point I kind of realized that this whole, everything I was doing basically wasn't working. I had an agency and I wasn't making any money. And so on the exterior, I looked like a local success story, but 
things were very different if you actually bothered to look at her books or, you know, actually look at how I was doing. Um, it wasn't good. So I did look hard at what was working and what wasn't working. And there was ultimately a number of mistakes I made. But the fundamental one wasn't really figuring out a couple things. Uh, first and foremost, I didn't really figure out what I personally wanted running this business to look like in my life. It turns out that's really important. So why are you starting a business? Why, um, you know, why even go on this journey at all? And how do you want that journey to look like? Because if you don't define that, then your business is just going to pull you in other directions. And it might not be the direction that you want your life to go. Um, secondly, I didn't really understand who we were serving at all. I modeled my business off every other like local website development business in the community. And probably 70% of those are now like gone or bankrupt or whatever. So maybe not the best, uh, best models to model off South. And, and so what ended up happening was, uh, I was trying to serve everybody and, Consequently, I wasn't charging enough money. I didn't really have a business model. I didn't have a marketing plan. I had no real way to scale this thing. So I committed all this money to scaling it without having the basic model in place. And that gave me the wonderful opportunity that every time I made a mistake, it was magnified because you know, I, ha I had an agency, everything was bigger, the dollar amounts were bigger. Um, and what I really should have done was figured all of this stuff out first and then and only then attempted to scale at all. Yeah, definitely. There's a couple of things that I like want to kind of circle back to here. But um, when you were starting Tilted Pixel, did you have any mentors that were agency owners or were you just kind of like looking at what other people were doing and just saying, well, I'll just do what they're doing? Yeah, and I think that was a fundamental mistake. I did have mentors in the sense that I mean, the wonderful thing about Waterloo is there are a ton of really senior business people that are happy to advise you, happy to give you their time. And I probably could have even made much better use of that. But the one thing I didn't do in retrospect is to find someone that did exactly what I was trying to do and to find that person and get their advice. And maybe if you want to go a little meta, I didn't even really understand what I wanted to do. Um, if you can believe it, I didn't really even understand what an agency was. And part of me thought that I could grow this thing big enough that we would become like the website development company in North America or something, which is kind of awesome from like a naive, okay, young people should be super ambitious and that's great. But on the other hand, it was like delusional about how service-based businesses actually work. And I wish, you know, again, if, if, if I had talked to the right people, someone could have smacked some sense in me. No, definitely. And, and another thing that you, you said in there that really strikes me is you said that you were trying to serve everybody. Um, it, and so it were, when it comes to that, were you just being too much of a generalist shop or, or were you just did you have like any sort of criteria for who you would accept or who you wouldn't accept as a client at that point? Not a whole lot of criteria. Basically, uh, you know, if you had a pulse and you had money, then we probably wanted to be talking to you, which is not very good criteria. I did have, I did eventually learn to at least set a minimum budget. And, you know, that kind of helped to at least qualify things. I wasn't talking to somebody that wanted, 
like a $500 website. And I actually got sworn at once by a so-called potential client because they called, they called up my company and they started asking questions about a website. And I could kind of tell that, you know, things were a little off. The person was being a little cagey. Uh, I wasn't clear if this was a business. And so I kind of brought up, okay, no problem. Our websites start at $5,000. And by the way, 5,000 is super cheap. I would never charge that these days. But back then I thought $5,000 was a lot of money. But that person was just so shocked and outraged by that number. They basically called me a whole lot of things I can't say on your show and then hung up. So oh, well, better off, uh, you know, in the rear view. Yeah. Uh, Definitely. So I did at least screen those people out, but yeah. that was that was the extent of my screening, which which was definitely not enough. We had we had no real positioning, and we had no real understanding of what problem for people. I I genuinely thought the problem my company was solving for your company was that you needed a website, and we could build websites. It, and a lot of good consultancies and and agencies such as yourselves will tell you that it's easier if you're differ- differentiating by serving like one vertical or one audience um, and you're not just building a website because your clients don't want a website. They want the result that comes from that. I, you know, can you speak just a little bit on that? Yeah. And I mean, that's really one of the breakthroughs that I ultimately had when I rebuilt my business back in 2011. When I look back at the, all of the different clients we had, I realized that, Ultimately, most of our revenue was coming from a very small selection of clients. And there were clients that were paying us significantly more money and they kept coming back to us. So that was kind of your classic 80-20 rule where you suddenly realize that like you're getting 80% of our results from 20% of your efforts. And what was di- one of the things that was different about these clients is that they had very real problems that we were solving for them. Their website was fundamentally important to their business, and we were doing things with them that were delivering some pretty amazing results, results in terms of actually increasing their sales. Um, that, that's actually one of the things that I find most rewarding. We'll go and we'll do a whole bunch of website work with you, and suddenly your sales have doubled. That is such a gratifying feeling. Um, so there were clients in that category there were clients where we were just saving them a ton of money via really cool process automation stuff or just clients that were frankly smarter than me and they themselves knew that their website was important and therefore they were happy to channel tons of money into the website and so those were the people that we were actually solving problems for whereas there was a lot of other clients that it was difficult to even get that five thousand from them and they definitely didn't want to spend anything else on their website because fundamentally I hadn't established any sort of problem that we were solving with that website. So all of those clients, thanks to me, simply had a website because it was kind of cool to have a website. You kind of knew you needed a website for your business, but there were never any underlying business objectives that were um, established for that website. Right, definitely. So, so when you're approaching like clients like now, like a tilted pixel, like w- what's the first step? Identify the pain. Yeah, absolutely. So, people can come to us with a very little idea of what they want built, or they could come to us with a very specific idea of what they want built. And it doesn't matter. Uh, like, it's it's great if you have some ideas for your website, but we kind of start off by just like completely setting those aside. 
And instead, uh, the very first questions I always ask is, well, first of all, just tell me a little bit about your business because I need I need some context. Context is important. And then the second thing I find it, I find out from them is what drove you to decide that you want to get this website built and to get it built now. And oftentimes the first answer that you get is not the real answer. Um, you'll get, you know, you'll you'll get a lot of stuff like because their website is old and outdated. And okay, sure, let's agree that it's old and it's outdated. Why is the website important to your business? What are you trying to achieve for your business through this website? And if you keep kind of digging into that and you keep digging into those answers, you hopefully get past our website is old and into, okay, why does this website matter? Or you might find out that this website doesn't matter, at least not proportional to your fees. Maybe there is no marketing strategy. Maybe um, the company has no intention of an online marketing strategy and you can tell it's kind of gonna be an uphill battle and they're not gonna value their website greatly. And if they're not gonna value their website greatly, why on earth am I gonna spend a lot of time putting together a proposal for them for a 30 or $40,000 project, which I know right off the bat, they're never in their right mind going to accept. No, that's a really great point. I mean, you do occasionally come across businesses where their online marketing is really doesn't contribute anything to their bottom line. So there is no pain there, but usually like the people who are really like begging to have like, you know, something done there there's either like a competitor or they're dipping in sales or something's going on behind the scenes and, and doing that Socratic questioning is like how you get to it. Uh, so, you know, here's, here's another question. When, when you were growing tilted pixel originally uh, and you're hiring employees, uh, how do you know when it's time to grow? Um, that's a very good question uh, because I think the first time I did it, I did it the wrong way. Luckily, the second time I think I've been doing it, hopefully in a much smarter way. Certainly the financials seem to make me believe that. Um, but I think the time to grow is when you've addressed, when you've basically got rid of all of your other options. So a lot of people do end up emailing me thanks to the podcast and asking me some variation of how can I hire employees? How can I hire contractors? How can I start an agency like you, Matt? And my answer is almost always don't, right? Let, let's, let's step back a couple steps. What are you currently charging for your services? And very often the story that ends up coming out is that you're not charging enough. And there's some other reason that that's happening. Maybe you made the same mistakes that I did and you didn't really position your business properly. Maybe you just are undercharging because you don't realize clients will happily pay more. Whatever the problem is, um, you got to address that first before you end up deciding to grow your business. Once you're at a point where all of the numbers basically make sense, so you can comfortably hire someone and you can pay them premium rates, and it's easier to hire that person and it's easier to pay them premium rates rather than you're, you raising your own rates again, then and only then is it really worth it to even consider hiring someone because up until that point the easiest and fastest and simplest way to scale is to just charge more you can literally double your income overnight by just increasing your rates no and and that's a really intriguing thing right there that that you mentioned that sometimes people 
uh, you know, try and grow the agency or start an agency, be, but they're not charging enough maybe to even sustain themselves. Is, is that totally what I'm hearing? Sometimes, sometimes, yeah. Or they think they're getting really good rates, but they're only getting really good rates because they're not actually valuing their own time properly. Because when you're solo, even something like 50 bucks an hour sounds like outrageously awesome. Because if you're an employee, most people, unless you're like in management or a well-paid software developer, um, if you're an employee, you're probably making like 20 or 30 bucks an hour, maybe 40, right? Like, like to actually consistently earn 50 bucks an hour, I, I don't know what that works out to salary wise, but I think that's fairly above average. So as a freelancer, you feel like, okay, that's a fair amount of money. But what you're not doing is you're not calculating all the time that you're not spending on client work. And if you're running any sort of freelancing business, if you're real, if you do like a really honest, hard look at your time you're spending, there's a very good chance that only half of your time goes towards billable work, right? The other half goes towards finding clients, uh, administrating your business, sending out invoices, paying taxes, all that dull, boring stuff no one likes to do, and yet is a very critical part of your business. So suddenly you're actually maybe making 25 bucks an hour. And then that's assuming that all the work that you do for the client is actually billable, which chances are it's not. So suddenly 50 bucks an hour is preposterously low. Um, even 100 bucks an hour starts getting a little questionable. You can you can kind of pull it off. It's, it starts getting into like reality land. But when you start hiring people, and you start realizing the actual cost of doing that, the direct money that you have to pay those people, your own time that goes into managing them. And then, I mean, if you hire them as employees, um, God forbid, then you've got payroll taxes and all that other exciting stuff to deal with. Um, you start realizing just how expensive those people are. And then you start realizing, holy cow, the money that was so amazing when I was solo is barely keeping me afloat. And you don't want to end up in a position where you hire someone and you're actually making less money than you were before. Which actually brings up another point, like if hiring contractors is one thing, but if you actually go the route of hiring employees, then you better be ready to grow a much bigger business. Um, don't hire just a couple employees if that's all you ever intend to grow, because the downsides of hiring employees, like the fact that you have to pay them even if you're not bringing in work and just all the overhead that comes with managing them isn't going to start paying off for itself if you're not seriously growing a team. So either you're in it fully or just hire contractors. But don't think, you know, you're going to grow like a really super high profitable business and only ever have like two or three full-time employees because you don't get the economies of scale that comes from having employees and you don't get the flexibility benefits of having contractors. No, and that's a, you know, that's really insightful. And I'm glad you brought that up. Um, so what you're saying basically is if you're going to hire employees, you need to like really step on the gas and you, because you're going to get, you know, you're going to have to pay tax on the employees and, you know, obviously your agency rates are going to have to go up to, you know, be able to pay for these people. So, you know, when you're starting an agency like that, you're obviously stepping into like a whole another like ballpark of, you know, projects that you're, you're looking at. You, you don't have time for the small fish like so much. You gotta, you have to like kind of aim like a little bit higher. Uh, does it get easier? Like as an agency, uh, 
to win those size of clients when you have like a team behind you? Is that some sort of credibility to, to those types of clients? That's a really great question. And, and I really do want to say yes. And I suspect like academically, the answer is yes. But my own personal experience has not really made a really good case for that. Because right now my agency is super small. I call it a micro agency now because I've lost all desire, at least at this present moment, you know, don't get angry at me if in five years I've changed my mind. But at this present moment, I have zero desire to grow my business any bigger. And right now it's just myself. There's a couple of people on payroll part-time that deal with administrative stuff. Everybody else is contractors. So I technically have a team, like each contractor I know I've met multiple times, you know, they are my people, but they're also freelancers. They're also on a contract basis. Um, so it's a really small company without offices and anything. And I'm closing business that's way, way bigger than the stuff that I was generally closing back when I had a brick and mortar office and back when I had people on payroll. So I don't want to convey to people the idea that you're not closing your deals because you don't have a team, because you don't have a fancy office, because you're not on like in a skyscraper or something in New York, whatever success means to you. Because maybe, just maybe, probably your chances of closing a deal do increase if you have an office and if you have a team and so on, probably. Um, but they don't increase enough to use that as an excuse to get all that stuff. That That's not a good enough excuse to do that. You got to get the business first a, a, yeah. a little bit. Yeah. Uh, we're going to go to our, our break. And uh, then we, when we come back, we'll pick up this conversation uh, back after the break. Buying or selling a home in the greater Reno Tahoe area? I know the best CRS real estate broker, and that's Karen Conrad. And you can find her at karenconrad.com or call directly at 775-527-7021. We're back from our break, and we're talking with Matt Inglot of the agency Tilted Pixel and of the podcast Freelance Transformation. And uh, something we were talking about before the break uh, is you know, growing an agency and stepping into that bigger uh, ballpark of, of getting clients. Um, and to, to grow an agency, you have to like hire people. I mean, talent is your one resource uh, that that is what you're selling. What do you look for when you're hiring people? Are there any traits, characteristics, or, or things that, that are just have to be there for you to hire them? Yeah, absolutely. So if I'm going to work with someone, it's really going to be two things. I mean, one, they, they do have to be good at what they do because the stuff that we produce is good and we can't produce good stuff if the people that I work with is, don't produce good stuff. Uh, but if we establish that as the baseline, the next thing I'm looking for above anything else is just complete and utter reliability. Um, I love my clients and I do not love disappointing my clients. So you can be the best possible designer or programmer in the world. But if you ever, ever, ever disappear on me, right? Meaning you, you disappear and not tell me and you're not a, like in an ambulance or something terrible has happened, then that is the end of our relationship. That is over. And that may sound so hard ass, but it, but it really shouldn't be like, that's just like such a basic thing 
that when someone hires you, they are depending on you, right? And if there's problems, that's okay. You can bring them up and we can deal with them. Um, but if you just up and disappear, we can't solve it and we can't move forward and we can't fix it for the client. We can't put in contingencies and it becomes a problem. So being dependable, being able to deliver on your timelines, being able to communicate where there is a problem and not disappearing and putting someone in a position where they're just hoping you're still doing the work uh, would definitely be my next ultimately biggest criteria. Now, communication is a big one. And and fulfilling what you say you're going to do. I mean, your word has got to be your bond. Um, and, you know, as an employee or a contractor or whatever, it, you are responsible for, you know, setting expectations too. Um, and I know in, in, in some agencies, I mean, the expectation is just like say yes to everything and figure it out later. But I, I think, you know, on, on the team, uh, you have to – you know, set expectations correctly, you know, only promise what you can do and definitely like communicate, even if the, everything's going fine, communicate. Uh, so, uh, when it, when it comes to promoting and marketing yourself as an agency or a developer, uh, what are some things that, that have worked for you and what have you seen work for other people? Um, I'm really kind of on an old school kick here. Um, I think referrals are just absolutely key. Uh, having your clients absolutely love your work, not just feel like you're okay or just have a neutral opinion on you, but really feel like you are the absolute correct person to work with is number one, because that's how you get referrals. You also get referrals by building your network by going to events, by talking to people, by investing in that cup of coffee or that Skype chat and just being out there. I really think that's if you're looking to start out, whether you're a freelancer or you're an agency owner, those should really be like your first starting tools before you start worrying about anything fancier. Because yes, you can do cool stuff. Um, I have seen a lot of cool things work for us personally after referrals and just expanding my network and meeting a lot of people and just yapping it up with people. Um, the next thing that worked very well was local search engine results. I, I still think in most markets, maybe not New York, but like most markets, um, local search can still be dominated. Um, a lot of companies just aren't doing a very great job of it. And the, these are web development companies, which is so funny. Um, but you can dominate local search results very easily. Um, you can find lots of free guides on how to do local search optimization. Couple that with doing a podcast tour. So go out there and be a guest on podcasts and suddenly you have, you know, you have between 10 and 50 links coming into your website from different podcasts. And suddenly not only does your website have good on-page optimization, you suddenly have way more quality links coming in than anybody else in that market and you win. At one point, uh, we were showing up four times on the front page of Google because we were showing up for AdWords ads. We were showing up for the Google uh, local search results. That's where they like put you on a map. Uh, we were so yeah, yeah. Um, I think there was seven at that point, but I mean, yeah. Google has tweaked their page so much. Um, we were showing up in the organic search results and a video that I had made, and this one I have to admit was an accident, but 
I made a video and it got like crazy amounts of views on YouTube. And because of that, that YouTube video was also showing up in the local, in nice. the local page results. So like, can you believe it? Like we were basically just destroying local search. And, and that's just what worked for us. I mean, there, there's other strategies and out there and we, we could talk for like two hours, but I mean, oh, yeah. from personal experience, that's what worked. No. And, and I love what you said, like, you know, do great work um, because, you know, your clients will tell, you know, other people that they know and, and building your network, I think is definitely it. And, and that's the thing too. You got to get from behind the keyboard and people have to know what you do because, you know, we all get busy and we need, or, you know, something isn't a good fit for us. And we need to know who we can give it to. That, mm. that can, and, and that's key. Sorry, I don't mean to interrupt. Oh, yeah, go ahead. That, that brings us to, like, a whole other important point. There's basically two types of client generation strategies. Um, there's client generation strategies that are uh, particularly amazing when you're starting. And there's client generation strategies that are only amazing when you want to scale. So when you get into things like Facebook ads and content marketing and some of that other like really fancy heavy duty stuff, those are great scaling strategies. And they're great because once you understand who you're targeting and what exactly you provide for them and you know that people want to buy this, you can go and you can blow a ton of money on Facebook advertising, Google AdWords, on content writers, all of that fancy stuff. And it's okay because you know that that stuff's probably going to work because you're reaching the right audience with the right problem. But if you start with those strategies, it's generally very poorly advised because when you're starting out, you don't really understand who your target client is. You don't really understand who, what their problem is. You don't understand if they're willing to pay you to solve their problems. And that's where, again, I really recommend a lot of these more old school strategies because they actually work better for starting out because they allow you to interact with a client. So if I go to an event and I start talking about who I'm targeting and the problem that I'm solving, and I keep talking to people and their eyes glaze over, nobody has any referrals for me, nobody's eyes light up, I know there's a problem. But I, I've got a feedback loop here. Or I might meet somebody and, I, and I'll say, I solve a problem for such and such business, they're not interested, but they're interested in me solving a different problem. Well, I can sit down. I can learn about the problems. I can learn about what they actually want me to solve. And again, there is that feedback loop there. If I run a Facebook ad and I tell you I can do something for your business and you're not interested, there's no feedback loop. The only feedback I'm going to have is the fact that you didn't click. So I could blow tons of money on ads and still be nowhere closer to really understanding who my target audience is or what their problem truly is because I'm not communicating with human beings. I'm just blasting a message out there. And that's a great, that is such great insight. You have to um, know exactly who you're targeting and to do that, you have to talk to real people and get a real understanding of those issues in that audience uh, because then you start to see patterns and you start to see common threads, and then you can use that language, and you can target those specific problems, and then you can do the stuff like, you know, blast out Facebook ads, where I think I, I see a lot of businesses, they kind of just put money into e-blasts and stuff like that, and it just kind of is it feels like money flushed down the drain. Uh, but definitely, if you know who you're targeting, you can uh, really come to grips with it. And this brings me to 
A great question. I know there's like a lot of talk a couple of years ago. We've seen a lot of digital agencies talking about how things are drying up and, you know, it's going down. And uh, and it, maybe it's like a lot of generalist shops, uh, big and small. We see we saw TN and Lax like kind of fold up and, and go over to Facebook. And, uh, you know, uh, what is it about differentiation that, that uh, makes you the top choice as opposed to just a generalist shop? But maybe even more name recognition. You know, what's the difference to the client? So I think the real difference here, and the way I like to think about it is what, what, what this question is really trying to do is it's trying to blame the economy on personal success. And that's something I do hear a lot from like agency owners and pretty much any type of business owner. Well, you know, times are tough. And that's a very egotistical way to look at things because unless you, unless you know, your Steve Jobs, or, or sorry, not Steve Jobs, I guess, but um, uh, Tim Cook now. If you're Tim Cook and you're listening to this podcast, you know, this doesn't apply to you. But most people are small business owners and the general economy has very little opportunity to actually influence your success because the amount of sales that you personally need versus the amount of dollars involved in general economic trends are so different that it really doesn't matter. You don't control the economy. Don't pay tons of attention to the economy. Uh, but what does happen is when times are good and there's really abundant work, people that have done a terrible job of promoting themselves, people have done a terrible job establishing a business, people that don't really have a business end up getting work anyway because there's basically just spillover. All the good companies are already full so you can basically throw a hook in the water without any bait and still catch a fish, right? That's really what's happening. And when times get not so good, what ends up happening is there's no more spillover. And now you actually got to promote your business. Now you actually got to implement all of those fundamentals um, that you didn't implement when things were good and didn't have to care about because, you know, there's just so many clients versus what you were actually uh, providing that it didn't matter. So that's where it's, it's not just about differentiation. Differentiation is, differentiation is obviously a key part, but maybe just beyond differentiation, just actually having a sane strategy for attracting clients, a repeatable strategy for attracting clients. So part of it is differentiation and specifically understanding who you're targeting and the problem that you're solving for them and actually having validation, meaning people agree with you that this is a problem that needs solving. But then beyond that, if you take it one step further, having a specific way to reach them. And if you can do that, then, I mean, you're, you're always gonna be fine. You're always gonna be booked up. If you're a freelancer, you really only need about three to 10 clients a year. I've done a lot of thinking on this, at least if you serve businesses. If you're like a family photographer or something, your model's a little different. <laughs> but most most freelancers, agency owners, I would say three to 10 clients a year is all you need. You can get that in the worst economy possible as long as you continue to solve a problem that people desperately need. And what you really need to do is you need to figure out, again, who you're targeting, what the problem is. They have to agree that this is a problem and then you have to have a repeat strategy. It's ideal to do this when times are good so that you're not scrambling when times are bad. But that's really the problem. That's that's really why you see agencies grow and then decline and then grow and then decline is because there's a bunch of them that 
and, and I'm including myself in this, like it took me a while to figure all this stuff out and I almost didn't make it because of that. Right. But they don't really establish a proper business and then inevitably they kind of disappear when this kind of overage of clients disappears. Now that's, that's great. I think that's a great insight what you're saying about in the early days of the web, there was a lot of spillover. Everybody needed a site and the economy was kind of up. But, you know, post-2008, the economy went down, and web shops are everywhere. And so that spillover isn't as much. And so it's not just differentiation, but it's also finding a repeatable way of attracting, you know, your target audience clients and, and, you know, knowing what problem you're needing to solve for them and then getting those right clients, like, into your roster. Um, We got time for one more question in the regular podcast. Uh, and then we'll go into the bonus content. Um, you know, here's a a question. You know, when it comes to your podcast, like Freelance Transformation, that's kind of where I first heard of you. Um, and honestly, I love everything that you put out there. Uh, you know, I love the conversations you have with your guests. And it, with that, it seems like the target audience isn't so much clients, but it's, you know, other freelancers, other consultants, other you know, people with very small agencies and what inspired you to target that particular audience? So there's two reasons. One, one is completely indefensible and that's, that's really that I wanted to do it. Right. Yeah, sure. I kind of reached a point where like my business was doing pretty well and it was just always this scratch, always this itch that I wanted to scratch. And I just felt like this was something that I needed to do. From a business perspective, that wasn't necessarily the best choice. If you're trying to optimize for growing your agency, don't go start a podcast to a completely different audience. That's not how you optimize for growth. That's not really really what I've been optimizing for. And that's really why I was also very slow to monetize freelance transformation. In fact, I think this year it's still technically losing money. Um, Next year will be a very different story. Um, And that's because, you know, this is not my livelihood. This is my passion project, but it's a passion project with some very big ambitions in front of it. The other reason I did it that is a little more defensible is it did give me an opportunity to rapidly build a network with a ton of other very successful people. So at the beginning of this episode, you asked me who did I look up to and who did I have to mentor me when I was starting my agency for kind of the first first round, shall we say. And the answer was very poor. Um, basically, nobody that had actually done it. And I like to think that I do learn from my mistakes. So via the podcast and via some of the uh, other opportunities that I've had resulting from that, I now have a network available to me of a ton of people who are incredibly successful with their businesses uh, at all levels, all of who are doing some type of freelance and agency work. And a lot of them will pick up the phone and answer my call. So now I have access to this great mind of all of these people put together instead of trying to do it all on my own like I did the first time around. No, that's that's a great way to not only network, but to, you know, learn from all these other, you know, smart people who are successful as consultants. And I, I think that's 
a totally legit way. And, and I think that's a side benefit of, you know, any developers who are doing a podcast where they're interviewing like other successful people. And, and I can see like why I like a lot of entrepreneurial podcast people do what they do too, because, you know, they're talking to other people who, um, you know, are successful and they're learning from them. Uh, with that, we're going to wrap up the regular podcast content and I will remind everyone that you can find the bonus content on the WP tonic website. And you can also find that on our YouTube channel, Matt, how do uh, people get a hold of you? And is there anything that you'd like to promote? Uh, sure. I mean, honestly, the thing that would make me very happy is especially if you're listening to this on your podcast player right now, just pull up the little search uh, icon, type in freelance transformation, hit subscribe, and that way we can continue the conversation. If for some reason you're not listening to this on your podcast player, then go to freelancetransformation.com. There you can get a free course on getting started in freelancing. You can also find the podcast there. And yeah, I hope to see you there. Very good, very good. And uh, definitely uh, you can... My name is John Locke. You can find me at my website, which is lockdowndesign.com. Uh, I would encourage like people to subscribe to the WP Tonic podcast and definitely subscribe to you know your podcast, Freelance Transformation, and continue the conversation there. Um, for my co-host, Jonathan Denwood, uh, he, you can find him at his Twitter handle, which is Jonathan Denwood, uh, and you can find him at, at the WP Tonic website as well. Uh, with that, we're going to continue into the bonus content. And thank you for tuning in to this podcast. Thank you for being a guest. Matt, we'll continue the conversation in a second. Mm -hmm.